I know I don't have to tell you this, but I just want to remind you this as we begin together this morning. The God that we serve is an amazing, incredible artist. The God that we serve is filled with so much creativity, so much beauty, so much wonder. We are surrounded by God's handiwork all the time, and sometimes it's just good to stop and pause and recognize that and give thanks and just say, God, thank you for being such an incredible artist. Thank you for making the world so much more interesting than it could be. (laughs) Thanks for all the things you let us experience that you wouldn't have to. One of the things that I enjoy doing is some of you at times put different pictures on your Facebook feeds of different things that strike you of God's beauty. So sometimes you put sunsets, sometimes you put sunrises, sometimes you put mountains, sometimes you put different places where you've been. And I especially then love reading the hashtags that you all give to those things because based on what you you list for your hashtag, I can tell how excited you are about whatever piece of God's artistic handiwork you have just seen. Uh, So one of you who shall remain nameless, one of my favorites is when you put in your hashtag in regards to a beautiful picture you put up, you put dope. Now, I am not going to share who that is, although I'll give you a clue. It might be a little bit harder for some of you, but this particular individual often sings in our choir on Sunday mornings, and so I'll leave it at that. But I always like it. I know if I see dope from that individual, it's going to be a pretty spectacular picture, and it always is. Uh, That's one of the things I love about the God that we serve. And so this morning as we jump into things, I just want us to be reminded of the amazing artist that God is. And so God creates things like redwood trees and being able to appreciate them. And if you know anything about those trees, I've yet to see these personally. I can't wait to make a trip out uh, west sometime and actually see them. But they are hundreds of years old. And they are literally these majestic, gigantic trees. And I'm reminded, God, you are so big and you are so good. At the same time, some of you have had a chance to see the Grand Canyon, and you can't help but stand in the presence of the Grand Canyon and know there is something spectacular going on. You feel a sense of the majestic and knowing that it's taken thousands upon thousands of years for those canyons to be formed in the ways that they are. But when I see them, I'm like, God, thank you for your handiwork. Thank you, God, for your artistry. At the same time, some of us, a lot of us are ocean people, and one of the things I love about the ocean is there's so many different forms of life, and God would not have had to have done that, but gives us all kinds of variety and creativity there, and again, I say, God, thank you for being such an amazing artist. You saw all those colors in the, in the ocean, but I'm reminded of all the colors, and we see the rainbow, and I love all these different colors literally side by side and how beautiful they are, and again, God's goodness, God's artistry, God's handiwork. Even when you get to see an island, and that island is surrounded by this just incredible blue from the water and the ocean around it, there's something striking about that. And we give thanks to God and say, thank you for making that. I've never had a chance, but I'm hoping someday to actually see the lights, like in person, firsthand, of the Aurora Borealis. And again, just saying, God, thank you for painting the sky, and you you don't have to do that. And here you are painting the sky with all these brilliant colors, and it's just beautiful. God is an amazing artist. As amazing of an artist as God is, though, of all the things that I've just shown you, there's a way in which God has created something even more majestic, even more wonderful than all the things that I just showed you. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. We're also going to be later on in Matthew chapter 28. Those will be the two chapters if you want to jump back and forth with me. But in Genesis chapter 1, listen to this incredible artistic masterpiece that God creates. 
Here's what it says in verses 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock, all the wild animals, and over the creatures that move on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. And male and female, he created them. God blessed them. And God said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, every tree that has fruit and seed with it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is absolutely stunning because it means that you are God's artistic masterpiece. That means that you, Kelly, are God's artistic masterpiece. That means that you, Jordan, are God's artistic masterpiece. And maybe for some of us, one of the best things we can hear today, along with anything else, is just this. You are God's artistic masterpiece. Please hear that today. Now, what we just heard in Genesis chapter 1 is sort of this macro approach to God creating humanity in an artistic way. But listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. If the macro approaches in Genesis 1, listen to this micro, this intimate approach given in Genesis chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. It says, But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So throughout this series, we've been lifting up different images, living water, fire, wind, today the earth. And we hear a lot of those elements literally mentioned in that passage right there, that God takes water and breath of life and earth and dust and mixes it together. And what emerges? More life in the form of humanity. And when it says that God does this, I get this picture of God and if God can have these arms and working and you literally see him forming, picking up the dust, forming it, shaping it, being intentional with it in such a way as to bring forth life, to bring forth humanity. God doing this amazing, incredible artwork. And to make all of it happen, you will notice in these passages that God uses God's voice to literally bring forth life. So if you go back to Genesis 1 and keep saying, and God said, and God said, and God said, what is God doing? God is using God's voice to bring forth life. That's what we've been focused on throughout this entire series. What does it mean for us to offer our voice to bring forth life among others around us? What does it mean for us to sing or to speak in such a way that God's song of life, life found in Jesus Christ, is heard by those around us and that they want to join into the song with us? Because one of the most amazing things that God does, this is mind-blowing when you stop and think about it, the creator of the universe invites you and I to partner with God and what God is up to in our world. God literally, who is this ultimate creator, this ultimate artist, then says to you and I, I want to invite you to join me and what I'm up to in the world. Now, I often joke in my own family, I am not very artistic. I cannot sing well. I cannot draw well. 
but I can do other things. And one of the amazing things about humanity is that God gives all of us different artistic abilities to create and to let life emerge. And when I look at the history of humanity, it's incredible what God allows us to create. So we may not be the artist that God is, but I'm telling you, humanity, because we get to partner with God, there's some pretty incredible artistry that's going on. So I think of people like Michelangelo and the painting of the Sistine Chapel. It took him many, many years, not days, not months, years to create this incredible work of art. He can do that because God gave him those artistic abilities. I think about things like architecture, and any form of architecture is great, but there's something like the Sydney Opera House. And I look at that architecture, I'm like, that's incredible that somebody has the knowledge and the ability to do that kind of thing. I think about the history of literature and things that like, people like Shakespeare created with Romeo and Juliet, and there's a form of art there that's absolutely incredible when you dive into it and when you explore it. I think about people who have the ability to grow things from the earth and to nurture the earth in such a way that fruits and vegetables and all kinds of things begin to emerge. There's something artistic about that. There's a, something life-giving about that. We may not love all of us iPhones, although a lot of us do, but I think there's something artistic about those. The ability to combine technology with something that is so user-friendly and appealing to the eye and all kinds of things, there's something artistic about that. I think back to uh, different athletes who literally hone their bodies and their skills in such a way in their craft. There's something artistic about that. Every year at First Church, one of the things that we do at our celebration, at our Easter resurrection services, at the end of the service, we sing this thing called the Hallelujah Chorus, this incredible singing masterpiece that's been put together. In all of these instances, we are reminded that God invites us to partner with God to use our abilities for the flourishing, for the creativity of life. And I want us to hear that as we gather together this morning. One of my professors once said this, he said, every disciple of Jesus is an artist of life, but the artist's gift is nothing without a commission. So let's recognize this morning, we are created to partner with God, which means we have this artistic ability to use our voices to foster, to bring forth life. But what my professor reminded me and what I want to remind ourselves here this morning is that while we have these abilities, it does us no good to just sit on them or use them for ourselves, we have to be commissioned and sent out to use those gifts for God's glory, for the flourishing of life in other places. And guess what? God very explicitly gives us that commission. So again, if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to look with me now in Matthew chapter 28, verses 17 to 19. And here it is Jesus himself who offers this commission to us human artists to join in what God is up to in the world for the flourishing of life. So in verses 17 to 19, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, and here's the commissioning, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hear what we are being commanded and commissioned and sent to do. Go and partner with God and use your voice for the flourishing of life with God literally around the world. French novelist Emile Zola once said this, if you ask me what I came to do in this world, I, an artist, will answer you, I'm here to live out loud. 
I love that phrase. Think about that just a little bit. I am here to live out loud, to let my life, my voice, my song be heard by others. I'm not just going to hold it in. I'm not just going to keep my voice to myself, but I'm here to live out loud and let it be heard by those around us. I wasn't looking for this, but this past week I came across this image that I want to show you. It's a picture of a bird, and if you look carefully, it almost looks like there's wisps of smoke coming out of its mouth or out of its beak. Here's what's going on. This bird is actually singing, but it's so cold where the bird is that as it sings, literally, you can see its breath coming out. And the caption to this image that you can't see is this. The the caption is, when it's cold enough to see the melody. Church, in so many ways, that's what this entire series has been about. We increasingly live in a world and a culture that is in different ways cold. (laughs) And yet what is possible is that when we sing our melody, that melody can be seen and heard and felt. In fact, it's increasingly seen and heard and felt in a world that may not know the love, the grace, the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so the more we can sing our song, the more that we can offer that melody, the more it's going to be seen and noticed in our world. John Wesley, who is the founder of Methodism, once said that to follow Jesus means you live out the life of Christ by living out loud. Can you live out the life of Christ by living out loud? And so that's what I want us to be thinking about in this series as we finish up. Wesley also said the entire world, the entire earth is my parish. Why did he say that? Because he recognizes what Jesus said when he says, go into all the earth and share and make disciples of all nations. So what I want us to do here for just a few moments, I want us to now compare a little bit in Genesis chapter 1 to Matthew 28. And we're going to do this quickly. We're going to blitz through this. But we're going to do a little Bible study because I want us to understand how Genesis 1 is connecting with Matthew 28. And at first, if you're paying attention to this, you might say, well, it doesn't seem like there's much of a connection there, or why, does there, why is there a connection? We're going to look at that. But to understand that, I want us to be clear on this. The Bible is one story. Now, there are 66, Bible, uh, 66 books in the Bible, but it's all for one story. It's not 66 different stories. The entire Bible from beginning to end is this story of God finding a way to develop a deep and close and intimate relationship with humanity that can last forever. That's the whole story of the Bible from start to end. So keeping that in mind, there's actually a lot of connections in different parts of the Bible. And today we're looking at some of those connections between Genesis 1 and Matthew 28. The big way you can think about it is this way. In Genesis 1, God gives us a voice. In Matthew 28, he goes and tells us to use that voice in the world in which we live. But as we do that, we're going to see some parallels between the two. So for example, both of these, first of all, have a focus on earth. So look with me here just a moment. Look in uh, Genesis 1.28. It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, and subdue it. There's the reference to earth. And at the same time, look in Matthew 28.18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So both have this connection to earth. Secondly, both of them have Jesus present. Now, that might seem clear in Matthew 28. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's talking to his disciples. He's also present in Genesis chapter 1, verse 20, uh, chapter 1. Specifically, it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Who's the us? No, nothing else is being created here. 
But remember, the God that we serve is a Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God, but God one in three. So the us is a reference in part to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Son would be Jesus. And so here is Jesus present from the very beginning. And then in the Gospel of Matthew, that entire passage is about Jesus. He literally comes and says to them in Matthew 28, 18. This one's pretty obvious, but also in both of these passages, uh, they involve new beginnings. So the Genesis one especially is very, very clear. It's the very first book of the Bible. It's the first book in the Old Testament. If you look in verse 31, it says, God saw all that he had made. It was very good. There was evening, there was morning, the sixth day. He's saying, hey, this new start that I've created, it is good, it is blessed. Now, if you fast forward to Matthew 28, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped him. The they is the disciples, the him is Jesus. This is the very first time that the disciples of Christ have seen Jesus alive after they fled when Jesus was being taken away to be crucified. They haven't seen him until this point. So here's Jesus now having conquered death. It's a new start. It is the resurrected Jesus. It is a new beginning for these disciples. So you see a new beginning in Matthew 28. You also hear about a new beginning in Genesis chapter 1. We also see this. Both of these passages of Scripture involve an element of multiplication. So look what it says in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it. You can't fill the earth without some form of multiplication, without some form of flourishing. At the same time, when we look at this, if you look in verse 31, uh, or I'm sorry, in Matthew chapter 28, it says, Go and make disciples of all nations. So again, to reach the entire world, you got to have more than one plus one. You can get there eventually, but this is more of a multiplication and a flourishing in our world. It is one of the reasons why we encourage you to take a step in our disciples' journey. The goal isn't to be a disciple. It is to be a multiplying disciple because followers of Jesus, those who partner with God, experience this flourishing, this multiplication component. And so we want that here at First Church as well. Also notice if you look at both of these passages, it involves partnership with God. So look in verse 27 of chapter 1. It says, God created mankind in his own image, made in the likeness of God. And then in Matthew 28, verses 18 and 19, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he's got this authority. And then he says, but now I want you to go with this same authority. I'm giving it to you to go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I can say that to us, but I think for most of us, it sort of just does one of these right over our head. For me to say that God, the living God, the one who made the creation and all that is within it, the, the God who defeats even death, desires to partner with you and me, that is an incredible, holy, amazing, wonderful thing. The God who heals, the God who does miracles, the God who is more wonderful than we can imagine and says, join me in this. Join me in fostering life. Join me in creating something new. Join me in offering hope where there is none. Join me in offering life greater than death. Invites us to be a part of that. And so many of our churches, and for us ourselves at times, we forget that. And so we don't lift up our voice. We don't join in partnership with God in that way. Both of these passages also involve a command to cultivate over dominate. And I want us to catch this one. In verse 28 of chapter 1, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And then it says, fill the earth and subdue it. Now that word subdue sounds very strong, and it is strong, 
But I think we often get the wrong idea of what we mean by subdue. At the same time, in Matthew 28, verse 19, it says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That sounds pretty rigid and pretty strict and harsh. Like, go make disciples. Here's what I want us to understand. In both of these instances, if you look up the words for subdue and the word for make disciples, it does not mean go and conquer them. It does not mean go and dominate them. Particularly in Matthew 28, it is not saying those people out there are your targets and you have to go conquer them and make them disciples. That is not what it's talking about. What it is referencing is a cultivation, an intentionality of fostering a spirit of love, of being intentional, of helping to raise up, to nurture, to work, to, to create an atmosphere and a culture where new life can emerge. It is not saying I want you to dominate someone else. It's I want you to love them and walk with them and be so intentional in your living, in the sharing of your voice, that they want to walk into this new life with you. It's gotten so easy as for us in our culture to you know, look at somebody who's not like us and just lob thoughts, lob ideas, even lob attacks their way and not have to deal with it. It is very easy for us to look and say, well, they're not a Christian and they should be. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus is saying, use your voice in such a way as to love them, cultivate a relationship with them, encourage them, walk with them, that my spirit can grow up in them. That's what he's talking about. The best way that I know to describe this is here's how we're called to subdue the earth and in a, in a, in a physical sense, which also relates to us in a spiritual sense. My dad is doing this right now. My dad, as I've told you, is a farmer. Here's how my dad is subduing the earth on his farm. Back in the spring, he spent a long time just literally tilling the ground, working the ground, working it up and working it down and getting rocks and things like that out. After he had done that, he then planted a whole bunch of seeds. And then throughout the summer, those seeds, he spent a lot of time watering them, nurturing them, giving them nutrients so that they could grow. And now my dad literally did this last week. He's doing this in the weeks to come. He is literally harvesting tomatoes and beans that have grown and have flourished because my dad cultivated the earth in such a way that life there could emerge and flourish. That is what God is talking about here in this subduing. And this is what Jesus is talking about in our relationship. It's not about conquering as targets. It's about loving as children of God and walking with them in such a way that life can rise up. Both of those are found in Genesis 1 and Genesis uh, Matthew 28. Very quickly, both of these also involve the use of our voice to replenish. So look what it says in Genesis 1, 26, 28, 29. It just keeps saying, and God said, and God said, and God said. It's the voice that is helping to offer the replenishing. And then looking to Matthew 28, 18, there it says, Jesus came to them and said, so yet again, it is our voice that is being used in the replenishing, the sharing of song and life in the world in which we live. And God wants us to use our voices as well. And finally, if you look at Genesis 1 and Matthew 28, both of these involve you using human beings in very powerful ways. Genesis 1.27 says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He blessed them. We get that. We've already talked about that. We are made in God's image. That's an absolute, we could spend weeks just on that one thought. 
But look what it says in Matthew 28, verse 17. When they, the disciples, saw him, that is Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Why is that powerful? Here's why. This is the first time these disciples who had walked with Jesus knew he had died, knew he had been buried. This is the first time the living Jesus is standing before them. And what is the response of the disciples when Jesus, for the very first time, is standing before them? It says two things. First, they worshiped. I bet they did. I, too, would fall to my knees and be like, whoa, if, G if Jesus shows up and stands in front of us right now, there's just this sense of awe and majesty. You better believe I'm going to worship. And for these disciples, it's even more. You've defeated death. You have to be the living God. This is amazing. They worship. But then look at the next description. They didn't just worship. It says some of them doubted. I don't know about you, but there's something really comforting about that to me. Because, God, I have every desire to want to worship you. I have every desire to want to give my best to you. But, God, sometimes I doubt. And, God, sometimes I don't know what to think. And sometimes, God, I feel weak and broken. And it gives me a whole lot of hope that these are not perfect disciples being recorded here in Matthew 28. These aren't angels who are being invited to partner with God. It's not perfect disciples being invited to partner with God. It's disciples who want to worship and they are broken and frail who are invited to partner with God. That sounds a whole lot more like me and I'm guessing a whole lot more like all of us who might have the best of intent, but God, at the end of the day, we are broken and frail human beings. God, at the end of the day, I'm still just dust and broken and frail. And so Holy Spirit, come and fill me. God, come and take your hands and form me. And the fact, God, that you are willing to do that, to use us dusty, broken, frail beings in the furthering of your kingdom and in the sharing of your song, that is powerful. That God would choose to do that with us. That God uses non-perfect peoples in this holy sharing of God's love in our world. So what does all of this mean for us? I mean, maybe even at this point you're like, well, I've tried in this whole series we're talking about the song of God, song of life, how we use our voice in that, the song of Jesus. What do I mean by the song or the melody of Jesus? Let me say this as clearly as I can. The song or the melody is this. Almost beyond our comprehension, the God of the universe would rather send his only son to die on this earth than risk eternity without you or me. The God of the universe would say, I'm going to risk it and send my son on your behalf, even knowing you may reject me. Even still, I'm going to send my only son, Jesus, to live and to die for you and your sins and your mistakes. So that as you get to know Jesus, maybe, hope you will walk and know me and spend eternity with me. And I am willing to take that risk for you. That's the song. That's the melody. That is the greatest news in the universe. They say it, it says it this way in Scripture: For God so loved the world, God gave His only Son, Jesus. Whoever lives and believes and dies, or lives and believes in Him, shall not die, but have everlasting life forever. It's the greatest, most glorious, most wonderful news in eternity. That's the song. And the whole reason we spent this time in this series, church, 
is that when God's church as a whole finds its voice, sings its song, shares in the creative, redemptive, wonderful, glorious, good life of Jesus Christ and offers that in a flourishing way to the world, the world is changed and lives are transformed. But for far too long, churches have stepped back and they've said, let's let the preachers or let's let the uh, paid staff, let them offer their voice, but I'm not going to use mine. And it is the churches, the places that change the world are when everybody together rises up and sings their song. This melody of Jesus Christ. Because again, in a world that's increasingly cold, it at the same time makes the message of Christ that much more beautiful and wonderful to adhere. John Wesley once said this. He says, Give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergy persons or lay persons. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. That is my prayer in this series, that all of us together will learn to rise up and sing our song. It is great if Christ comes and touches our life, but if we just sit within that, if we hold that within ourselves, if we don't share that voice and that love with others, the song dies with us. We don't want that. And so throughout this series, we've been inviting you, anytime you see living water, anytime you see the fire of passion, anytime you see wind blowing, anytime today we have the opportunity to cultivate seeds of faith in others and let their lives be replenished in Christ, be reminded that this God wants to partner with you to offer this beautiful song to all the world.